Okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Snack Break Podcast. I'm your host, John Schaefer. And on this podcast, I interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. My guest today is an ultra marathoner, run coach, and a third year physical therapy student at Angelo State University in San Angelo, Texas. Additionally, he's the author of Seven Secrets to Establish Your Physical Therapy Brand. He plans on residing in Dallas, Texas area when he graduates from physical therapy school. And he's active on social media under the handle at Mr. Kinesiology. He is Ethan Mitchell. Ethan, welcome. Ooh, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for having yeah. me up. Yeah, super excited to have you on the podcast. I've been following you on Instagram for the last probably year and a half now. And I can honestly say I don't know a whole lot of ultra runners. Yeah, we're, I guess, a unique, different, crazy breed out there. So there's not a whole lot of us, but. Yeah, so hopefully you can kind of shed light on that aspect of, you know, that very unique culture. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about it. Um, when did you first get into ultra running? Like when did that become attractive to you? Did you jump right into ultra running or was this situation where you start running first and then kind of ramp things up? Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually never was really a runner until the pandemic hit. And one of my friends, he, he just challenged me. He was like, Hey man, I challenge you to run 20 days, 21 days in a row with me. It didn't have to be, you know, could be a mile a day. And I stuck with it for 21 days. And after that, I was pretty much addicted to running. And I was like, hey, like five months or so later, I was like, I might as well like try and do a half marathon. That's like on my bucket list. And so March of 2021, I ran my first half marathon. And I really got into running and like I started listening to podcasts of runners and I listened to his podcast with Courtney DeWalter, who's like probably the most famous trail ultra runner out there. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, it was on the Joe Rogan podcast and it was just extremely inspiring. And her personality was just so, so relaxed and low key. It, I was so like intrigued in ultra running and like hearing like the crazy events of going 100 miles and just going on that journey. And so ever since then ultra running was on my mind. I was like, okay, I'm def- I'm going to do one of these one day. And before that, um, in December, 2021, I ran my first marathon in Dallas and I was just all in at that point, you know, Finishing the marathon, it was, you know, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, one of the most difficult training for, but, you know, finishing it was probably the most rewarding thing in my life so far, like crossing the finish line and being meddled and, you know, just knowing everything you did paid off and challenging yourself. And it's just amazing. Running just allows you to really push yourself and do hard things. And, that's all everything I'm about. And about six months later, I ran my first ultra marathon in um, June, 2022. And that was actually a 38 mile trail run. And so that was up hills and uh, down like half domes, like giant, a giant rock basically. And that was an incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah. And just the community out there, like 
I was like, so welcomed. The trail community is very like tight knit and everyone is just out there about having fun. It's so much different than like a road race scene where that's a little more competitive while there are like, there's lots of encouragement out there, but in ultra marathon, no one really cares like what time you got. It's like you finished the dang thing, you know, you, you ran however many miles it was. And then about three weeks ago or a month ago, I ran my first ultra marathon or 62 mile ultra marathon. And that was in Bandera, Texas. And what was crazy was I got to meet my role model, Courtney DeWalter there, who actually ran that ultra in nine hours. So 62 miles, she ran it in nine hours, which broke the course record for female. And so that was pretty amazing. And just being out there for 62 miles and really pushing through a lot of pain and just realizing how much a human can do, how much you can really go past your limits if you just tell your mind to. So that's kind yeah. of so far. Yeah. That's incredible. And it sounds like, you know, all this has happened over a span of not that much time. Um, so I've got a, just a couple follow-up questions. So for the 21 days when you initially started, how much were you running each day? Was it like a mile? Is it, I mean, how much was it initially? Yeah. Starting off, it was like, half a mile a mile I may have gotten up to like two and a half or three miles and like it was to the point where like I would run like three miles and then I'll be like oh I am done I cannot go any further and I would have to Mm -hmm. call my girlfriend at the time to come pick me up like (laughs) I'm not running three more miles back to my house but it's crazy now six miles is kind of like a casual run nowadays so Mm -hmm. Lots of progress that's been made. Because I think that's a question that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of patients, clients will have is, you know, how do I even get started running? Um, we preach so often like progressive overload, but oftentimes we don't even think about that when it comes to endurance sports. So if you're working with, oops, drop my pen. Um, if you're working with someone who's just getting started, what do you typically recommend for starting to ease into the sport if someone's never run before? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And it highly depends on their training history. Mm-hmm. Have they been active throughout, throughout their life? Have they played sports? Do they lift weights? What's their current activity levels? If there's someone who's sedentary and who has been sedentary most of their life, I would for sure recommend starting off with walking and, you know, adding some bursts or spurts of running into it as they feel ready to and you know the main thing is consistency so whether it's three days a week hopefully they can keep those three days a week you know we know progressive overload add four days a week the next time and if someone's just starting off it's a make a walk run program would be the best um thing to do but if it's someone who's an athlete someone who works out someone who plays sports they can start off a little higher, a little higher mileage. They can start off with more running. Um, sure, definitely could still do some walking, but I wouldn't be afraid of asking someone who's already um, doing sports and stuff to run eight to 10 miles a week 
their first week of running. But of course, it just depends on other factors. Okay. And then do you typically, for you as a coach, is it more important that they're getting mileage? Is it more important that they're just running and getting, you know, time? Um, What's your philosophy on that in terms of like building up? Like, what are you measuring? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's pros and cons to measuring training through mileage and time. Just through my personal preference, I I prefer using mileage because I think it's a little bit easier to grasp regarding progressing. Um, I think either way is a viable method, and most ultra runners will recommend using training by hours. And I, I keep track of my time and hours, but I mainly program off of mileage. For me personally, it's more motivating to see me hitting you know, a 50-mile week of running. Mm-hmm. It's like pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, it, it really comes down to personal preference, in my opinion. I think one of the advantages of using time is it allows you to slow down a little bit more because most new runners' problem is they like to run way too fast anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just using time, you're like, okay, it doesn't really matter – how far I go it it just you're not in a rush to finish it because it doesn't matter how long it's going to take so if you're someone that's like a go 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 it's probably better that you train with uh using time like run for 30 minutes this day or instead of run three miles so yeah very interesting yeah I, t- I take the other completely opposite side of uh the spectrum where I train with time or at least have been recently because for me I don't know mileage just got to be a point where it was very discouraging if I didn't get to that certain mileage um but if I step back and just kind of set out that this is how long I'm going to train for today I'd focus more on staying in certain zones for heart rate um yes. making sure that I'm still accomplishing whatever goal I'm trying to accomplish even if I don't necessarily get the mileage in um, but yeah, I can definitely see pros and cons for both. And I'm glad you brought up the other side of things. Um, yeah, because it's helpful to have multiple perspectives. Yeah. And I totally get that viewpoint too. And honestly, it's probably the smarter way to do it. <laughs> if, uh, if you just want to be like more scientific about it, I think that's probably the smarter way. But for me personally, I guess I just like mileage. And so mileage, honestly, mileage is sexy too. It is. It's sexy. And sometimes as runners, we focus too much on the data and not as much on the training adaptations. So that's something I always try to keep in mind about um, focus on, you know, the adaptations I'm getting from this workout, not just like the numbers I get to see at the end of the week or end of the month. So that's something to keep in mind either way. What data are you currently training with? Like, what do you use to keep track of everything? Yeah. So I use, um, Microsoft or not Microsoft as you use Google Sheets mm-hmm. and I keep track of my weekly mileage my weekly time spent running I also keep track of heart rate and I look at like my average heart rate for my easy runs mm-hmm. and I try and keep that heart rate for myself below 154 
um, to like one above 140 for my easy runs. Okay. And I like to like have it all spread out and have a little um, line curve over the year and just see, see how I'm progressing and look at that. Oh, nice. So what do you use to make it pretty like that than have the, the line like that? Oh yeah. So micro or Google sheets is super cool. I can look at all the mileage, like with Mm -hmm. my intensities. So I'll see, okay. So this week I had 40 miles of, um, easy effort runs. I had Mm -hmm. eight miles of tempo effort runs, two miles of VO two max. And so basically there's some graph graphing tools on Google Sheets that can make it look really pretty. And so I wish I could, you know, put it up for you visual people, but, you know, podcasts, you're, you're driving yeah. and other stuff. <laughs> very, very cool. You might need to make an Instagram post in the future because I'd be very curious to see that data. That's um, true. I should. Thanks for the idea. <laughs> yeah. So you talked a little bit about this earlier, but um, you mentioned with some of these longer runs, a lot of it comes down to enduring pain, doing the hard things. Um, when did you first start to make some of these mindset shifts? Yeah. I'm sure it's an ongoing process too, but like when, when was that first moment where you're like, started to feel like you were making some of this shift? Yeah, that's a, that's a great topic. And I've always kind of had that mindset about you know doing hard things um through going through high school football we would have early morning workouts where we would do you know six 200 yard sprints and we had to make it under a certain time and then right after that we would go hit legs and you know it would be 20 degrees out or whatever so that was like kind of the start of it high school football and another part is just there's another community I'm part of called Project Endure. And so that's a very inspiring group of people. Um, the CEO is a Joe Rinaldi and uh, it's a Facebook group. And and then I would say the biggest mindset shift, though, is just listening to other ultra runners. Courtney Walter, David Goggins, there's Cameron Haynes. Some of you guys may uh, know those names, but you learn about going the distance. Yeah, it's physical. You have to have physical preparation. But once you get past a certain point, it's all about using your brain to encourage yourself to keep going, to accept what you're feeling, accept the pain, but be able to live in that pain and know that it's temporary. It's going to end. Um, and it's not going to hurt you. Well, you have to kind of know the difference between, you know, an acceptable pain and like a sharp, you know, you physical therapists get it. So yeah, that's, that's something, that's something I wondered a lot about too, because I feel like it would be a little bit of a balancing act when you're, you know, going through these tremendous physical feats and you're experiencing like a lot of pain towards the end. It's not something I can say I've ever felt or I'm really able to relate to. Um, so I'm just trying to think of maybe a better way that I can ask a question or have you describe 
Like, what are you feeling as you get into, you know, mile 55, mile 56 out of a 62 mile race? Like what's going through your mind? And like, how are you, how are you handling what you're feeling at that point? Yeah. I mean, so that's great to talk about as well. And at that point at mile 55, you know, what I'm thinking about is what I'm thinking about is just the steps I'm in at that point. And I do my best to stay present. And, you know, I'll also think about the end goal. Like, you know, I've gone for 55 miles. I can go for seven more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and my last race, like my feet were in a lot of pain and I knew it wasn't going to be something that was like damaging per se. Like obviously it wasn't helpful for my feet, but I knew it was something I would be able to recover from. And what was actually most helpful <laughs> was uh, running. Uh, running actually made my feet feel better compared to walking, which was kind of odd, but just more movement or my body is like, all right, maybe I got some endorphins from that. Um, mm-hmm. And in this last race, I had a buddy, not a buddy, a stranger that became a buddy that we were just both in the same position. We're hurting a ton, but it's like, Hey man, we kind of teamed up and like, let's do this, man. We got seven more miles left and we Mm -hmm. just were going and going. We're, it was great to have a a teammate, someone with me to finish it strong. Even though we had, we never knew each other until that part of the race, like mile 52. And we were just a good team at that point. So having someone else, Mm -hmm. you know, go with you, um can really make it a lot better and yeah very cool so with some of those longer races and do a lot of people take like breaks or walking during portions i'm just trying to envision like what the overall setup is or comparison to like a marathon yeah absolutely so marathons like there's lots of people who don't walk a step and Mm -hmm. that's very common and ultra marathons pretty much everyone at some point stops to take a break. Like even the elite runners will at least stop at an aid station to grab some food um, or just sit down for like a minute. And so me personally, I walked a good amount. It was my first ultra like that. So I was like, honestly not in a big rush to finish it. So I walked a good amount, Um, but I, I ran, like, especially when you're going uphill, like running that up is just going to, it's going to destroy your energy pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So uphills is common to walk, but flats and downhills, it's common to run. Unless it's too steep, then you just got to kind of slowly navigate your way down that so you don't bust your butt. Um, but there's aid stations probably about every five, six miles. So you, they have a bunch of food there. They have quesadillas, they have mashed potatoes they have mountain dew they have pickle juice they have a ton wow. of stuff you're getting wined and dined along the road it sounds like yeah yeah pretty much they, they treat you well the volunteers are amazing and yeah really kind people and the volunteers make it a ton better nice so how many people are actually running each of these do you think it can't be that many is it yeah so it really depends there's like some like smaller ultras my 38 mile ultra, there was only 40 of us. Mm-hmm. 
And then this one at the Bandera Endurance Trail Run, it was uh, it's act that was actually like a very big one. So there was about four hundred runners there at that one wow. for the ultra distance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess I've got one other lingering question that's bothering me about uh, just like the overall mindset. Um, so being someone who's listened to like so many different ultra runners, you you have to, there has to be some messages that keep on appearing like over and over again. So what do you think are like some of the biggest themes or some of the biggest trends that keep on coming up um, yeah. in terms of like mindset for ultra runners? Yeah, I would say the biggest theme is the best ultra runners are able to accept having pain and honestly, they look forward to it. They, I mean, that's what they do it for. The best ultra runners and ultra runners in general, we don't sign up for the 62 mile ultra to run miles one through 40. We sign up to run miles 50 through 62 you know we we sign up for that big challenge that the really hard part so that's the common thing common theme i see among ultra runners is they want to have an enormous challenge and see if they can overcome it Mm -hmm. and are there a lot of people during these races who maybe don't finish or have to stop part of the way oh yeah it's pretty common to have uh, a DNF did not finish mm-hmm. for ultra races. Um, I would say probably for this last race, I think it was like 20% DNF'd. So, you know, various reasons, maybe, I don't know, maybe they just weren't mentally prepared. Maybe they weren't physically prepared. Maybe they just wanted to go home and they were, they were tired of the suck. Cause I, I know at, the 31 mile mark, I saw people dropping out a little bit because that's like the the midpoint where you could just walk to your car. And okay. honestly, at 31 miles of technical terrain, like I was like, oh, it's, it's, it would be so nice just to just be done now. But it's like, mm-hmm. oh, got to keep choosing to moving forward. And do you listen to music during them or what's usually your approach? Yeah, so I I did listen to music during the the ultra probably for about um so the ultra took me this about 16 and a half hours Mm -hmm. and i listened to music for probably three or four hours out of it maybe maybe a little bit more i also try to just talk with people meet people and you know we're all going through the same the same shit and we're all hurting so it's easy to bond and easy to connect with people out there. So probably about for three or four hours, I was maybe talking to other people and the other eight, I was just kind of, you know, trying my best to be present and Mm -hmm. enjoy the surroundings, enjoy the environment and enjoy what I was doing in that moment. Yeah. I'd say there's good parallels to cycling too. Whenever you have a group ride, typically they don't even allow headphones, but just start talking to whoever's next to you and, kind of kind of rotate every couple miles it's usually pretty fun um so what is what does a recovery look like after you know an ultra how many days does it take you to get your legs back yeah honestly that was really bad (laughs) for me after that race um 
I could barely walk for like two days. And then maybe on the third day, like I was able to limp around a little bit. And then the fourth day I could walk, but my feet were still hurting. And it probably took about seven days until the pain in my feet, like started to fully go away. And really uh, after an ultra, you should take your time with getting back to running and you shouldn't rush back into it. Mm-hmm. There's some people, or do you have a question? No. Nope. Okay. There's some people who will recommend, oh, at least wait two months. Oh, at least wait two weeks. And, you know, maybe six weeks could be a good, or maybe four weeks could be a good rule of thumb. I think it honestly depends when the, it depends on you and like, you should just start whenever you feel like it again. And uh, you should kind of just explore how your body feels and listen to your body when it's ready. So, but I think you should at least take some time off of running and unless that's just your mindset, you're like, no, I, I want to go hard every single day. And I mean, some people are like that. That's not me, but I'm not going to knock you for it, but hopefully you're not running two ultras two days in a row. But <laughs> yeah, it seems like very much a situation where you want to listen to your body and how it's responding um, mm-hmm. to the load you're putting on it. So I want to yeah. pivot just a little bit and talk a little bit about your training, <clears throat> non-running related. So any kind of cross training you do in terms of strength training and kind of what that's looked like for you over time as you started to run more. Yeah, absolutely. I love every way of moving. I love all types of sports. I'm movement optimist. I just, I love, you know, basketball. I love baseball, football, whatever it is. I'll I'll go play it. Um, But cross training wise, I'm a big believer in strength training and I've been strength training for a very long time. And right now strength training is kind of my off season. I'm working out a lot and for runners and athletes in general, you know, you want to focus on your core lifts, your squats, your deadlifts, and you can even add, you know, power cleans. I think it's very important for runners to make sure they're loading themselves up. I I think, you know, doing a crazy ultra is best if you've really prepared your body through strength training, because it's important to build the bone mineral density. Uh, you can build tendon stiffness, which is helps in running efficiency. Um, is there any other topics regarding strength training that you wanted to? I guess I'm curious how you incorporate strength training for your athletes, like during their in season. So are you having them doing any strength training? Like how do you go about maintenance for them? Yeah. Yeah. So in season, I would say two days a week is really good if you can fit that into your schedule. And I recommend my athletes to, um, you know, kind of do the lifts I talked about. And but you also got to just remember, like the main goals, like strength training is still a stress to the body. And yes, it's important to strength train in season. But if you have a high mileage, high volume week of running or cycling or whatever it is you're training for, I recommend decreasing the 
um, either reps or deep decreasing the amount of exercises. So instead of doing five leg exercises, maybe do three. Um, and you can still lift actually relatively heavy and it's recommended you lift relatively heavy even during end season to maintain your strength adaptations. So at that point, it's not exactly about, you know, getting a new, getting a new deadlift max, but just really maintaining everything you've built in the past. Yeah. You touched on it too, but just um, being mindful of overall intensity. So kind of matching whatever lifts you're doing with how intense your runs are to make sure that, you know, you're staying consistent as your mileage and things like that go up. Um, We talked a little bit about this off air, but you mentioned um, there's a lot of misconceptions around, you know, strength training for the endurance athlete. What are some of the misconceptions that you see or hear the most? Yeah. So I think there's, I don't know if it's a misconception, but every runner is like, oh, I need to do more core work. I think that I don't think it's a bad thing to do core work, of course, but I don't think that's something that like has to be done or prioritized over other movements. Mm-hmm. So I think probably that's one of the one misconceptions about strength training. Another thing is people think for endurance athletes, you're like, oh, I need muscular endurance, so I should lift high rep and low weight which is also a misconception sure you can you can get a little you can get benefits from that but to optimize the benefits you get from strength training you should progressively increase the load you you want to go for a 70% um repetition maximum to really get uh strength training benefits for runners mm-hmm. Because that's really what's going to increase the stiffness of your tendons, of, you know, the elastic ability of your tendons to increase your running efficiency. Because you earn your muscular endurance out on the road. You don't earn it by doing 15 reps of squats. Um, So it's recommended to actually, I know it's not super intuitive, but do lower rep and higher weight for Mm -hmm. for runners especially you know that's not all the time like sure you can have some other workouts off season but uh, in season to maintain your maintain those strength gains you want to have higher weight lower rep and yeah okay yeah i think it's very important to qualify too just like what point you're at in the season um because like you said there's a time and place for everything but specifically Mm -hmm. towards end season like a lot of what you said makes a ton of sense um and then uh, the next question i have for you is you also mentioned that you know there's a lot of myths surrounding ultra runners in general what are some of the myths that you'd like to debunk yeah so one myth that i would like to debunk is you need to do back-to-back long runs which is pretty torturous and back-to-back long runs are um common in ultra runner an ultra runners like training tool which 
Sure, it's not the worst thing in the world to do it, but it's basically on a Saturday, you run a 26-mile run, and then on a Sunday, you run an 18-mile long run, which honestly is, yeah, it's torturous. And if if you want to do it for training the mind, like, sure, I, I think that's a good idea. But regarding training adaptations, it's very debatable if that's something that is going to be beneficial just um, due to the amount of recovery it takes for those. And it's like, you might be going deeper into uh, the, what's it called? Deeper into, cause you got to get worse and before you get better. Right. You might be like kind of losing more. Mm-hmm. the super yeah. compensation curve you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. You, you might be getting, and it's like kind of marginal gain. So yeah. there's actually a lot of research to show that higher frequency of training is, is better than just having a lot of, a lot of like long runs. So if you can spread your training out more, if you can, it's better to train eight days a week compared to, you know, five days a week or four days a week at the same mileage volume. So that's one of the myths out there. Okay. And you've talked a little bit about this just throughout some of your other answers, but one of the big concerns that, you know, a lot of runners, endurance athletes have just fitting all this training in within their schedule. So obviously you're busy with PT school. A lot of people are busy with their jobs, what what's something you typically recommend or can talk to um, some of these individuals to kind of coach them through fitting all their training in prior to, you know, a marathon or a big race? Yeah, that's a good question. And it really comes down to, I feel like part of it is just kind of motivational interviewing a little bit, like how much do you think this is going to take for you to reach your goals. And this has to be kind of set at the start of your relationship. Like, uh, what are you willing to do mm-hmm. to reach this goal? And, you know, you got to lead your client to their own answers. They have, it's much more effective in behavior change if, you know, they're coming up with the answers. And it can be powerful in establishing some sort of morning routine or, um, as well as having a routine to set out your training gear the night before, that's huge mm-hmm. because it, it makes it easier to train. If you've read a, a James Clear's Atomic Habits, that's, that's one of the things you talk about, making the habit easier, you can make the habit more enjoyable. It's like, hey, uh, um, do you like to listen to podcasts? You can listen to podcasts while you run. Um, and I think it comes down to helping your person decide like, okay, I'm going to run at this time at this place. So having a place and time actually has been shown in research to increase your um, chance by like 40% of actually doing it. If you have write out a place and time that you're going to do this. So yeah, it comes down to being intentional with your time and um, you have to coach people up a little bit because yeah, it, it does take a lot doesn't take a lot of energy and um, a lot of time out of the day, but once someone decides it's worth it, then they'll make it happen. 
Yeah, it sounds a lot like a lot of it comes down to eliminating all the barriers you can to make it as easy for you as possible to show up for yourself and show up for your goals. Um, one other thing I'll add that I feel like has been helpful for me, and I've just started doing this since the new year, is time blocking. So at the beginning of each week, I'll like block out what needs to get done, like you know, work that's a non-flexible hour, um, training. I'll put that down and then any other commitments and I'll kind of space that across the week. And I feel like once you can see that and recognize, Hey, there is time for everything. If I'm consistent with my schedule and I make the time for it. So I think that can be a powerful tool too, for people looking to increase their training. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to pivot just a little bit. And the next thing I want to talk about is the book you wrote. So your book is seven secrets to establish your authentic and influential physical therapy um, brand. So tell me a little bit about you know, what inspired you to write the book, how did the idea come about, and things like that. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of odd. Uh my one of my friends sent me a podcast of uh Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. And basically he was interviewing uh basically just one of his his fans, like someone who was at his workshop. And he challenged a lady to write a book in a day. And I was like, and she just needed a lot of coaching from Lewis House, if anyone's ever heard of the School Greatness podcast. And so I had talked with my friend and mentor, Joe Rinaldi, about kind of writing a book. I was like, huh, that'd be cool to write a book one day. And he's like, then he challenged me. He's like, well, why don't you just write it this month? if this lady can write a book in a day, you should, you should just write it this month. And then I was like, all right, (laughs) challenge accepted. And so one thing that I've had success with is just building a brand through social media. I wouldn't say I'm some sort of special ultra knowledgeable guru, but I've learned a few successful, um, strategies and and building that brand and especially in the physical therapy space and I wanted to share my knowledge and encourage and inspire people to do the same if that's something that they wanted to do because there's a ton of benefits of having a personal brand which I talk a lot about in the book like what the benefits are and you know as a physical therapist if someone is going to pick up, pick a physical therapist in these days with direct access, they're going to look them up first. It's like, Oh, they have a personal brand. They have a following. They, they put out good educational information. I'm going to choose this guy. So it gives you a very good advantage in this day and age to have a personal brand and to really meet a lot of great people. Yeah. I'll kind of echo what you said, but I think the meeting, the people has been the biggest thing for me. Like originally I set out, with social media, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I just, just started posting exercise and I'm like, this doesn't feel like something I really want to continue to do. But as soon as I was like reaching out and trying to have conversations with some of these people, you realize that behind that username, there's a person and you can reach out, you can connect with them and hear their story. Um, and that's where I've gotten the most benefit out of, I'm, you know, I think we're on episode maybe 30 of the podcast. Um, so I've met a ton of great people and had a lot of great experiences that way. And like you were saying, um, you know, there's a really good opportunity for anyone to really, you know, come on the scene in social media. Now, I feel like I see 10 to 15 new student accounts each week, at least. Yeah. Um, 
So having, having a space that's authentic is I, I think extremely important because a lot of people will, you know, come on kind of post things that have been posted before. Or, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, coming across with your own authentic voice can be extremely powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there's just incredible people out there who align with your values and who are encouraging and it's a great way to, you know, seek those people and get to know them and have connections throughout the country. So will there be a second book coming? Uh, Do you see any more writing in your future? Yeah, I've thought about that a little bit. I think eventually I might write a book about just my ultra running experiences, Mm -hmm. but that'll be a while down the road whenever I have a lot more to share on that, but I might as well start writing it now. So I have all my thoughts down and I'll put it in, put it in later. That's what I think is something really cool is kind of writing your experience as it goes. I, so I wrote a book on like how to apply to residency programs. And basically I was just writing down questions I had as I went throughout the process thinking that, okay, you know, maybe someone will find this useful down the road. Um, but yeah, recording your experiences because, you know, even if, you know, five or 10 people can benefit from them, I think that's still something worthwhile and pretty cool. Um, but yeah. So anything else that you want to share today? Otherwise that's about all I have. Um, I could, I could give a book recommendation, something. I'm sure. Let's hear a book recommendation. And then I do have five questions that I ask all my guests. Almost forgot. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So I would, for anyone who's interested in ultra running or something like that, I recommend reading Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. So that's a great place to start if you want to really learn that mindset about, you know, going harder and pushing yourself further and whatever, whatever aspect of life it applies to so many different aspects. So. Okay. Awesome. So first question I have for you is what is your biggest key to a successful day? My biggest key to a successful day is winning the morning. Winning the morning gives you that momentum, having a morning routine. What I do is I try to wake up at around 6 a.m. every morning and I start off with meditation and reading. And that's a really good anchor for me to start my day and to have purpose and direction from having some inspiration. Awesome. The next question I have for you is what do you wish someone would have told you five years ago today um, that would make a difference in the, how you're practicing um, or how you're living your life? Yeah. So five years ago, I was a sophomore, sophomore and undergraduate at Texas Tech. And what I would tell myself is to meet more people and to be intentional about meeting more people because what I found is just having relationships is, you know, one of the most powerful thing to, and just one of the most enjoyable parts and valuable parts of life. So yeah, just don't be afraid to go meet more people because they want you to come introduce yourself. Yeah. I like it. And every time I've reached out to anyone, 
I've either gotten a non-response or someone who's been excited to talk to me. So no one's ever going to respond that, no, I don't want to talk to you. So I think <laughs> knowing that too can be, uh, can be powerful. Yeah. Uh, next question you already kind of mentioned, but what book or product has positively impacted your life the most over the last three months? So would you say it was the David Goggins book or is there something else? Yeah. So I'm reading his second book uh, mm-hmm. called, it's called Never Finished. Got it on deck. I like it. Yeah, never finished by David Goggins. So his second book, and it's been really impactful and inspiring for me to, you know, keep pushing and, you know, giving the most I can and being the best person I can be. Cool. Um, next question: What's a quote you live by, or one that has drastically impacted your life? Hmm. So here it is. How you do anything is how you do everything. So basically what that means to me is if you slack off in one area, that's just going to carry over to another area of life. So if, you know, you're a PT tech, don't assume that you can slack off as a physical therapy technician and and you're going to be a great uh, physical therapist. If you better clean the best table you can or um be encouraging right then and there to that patient because it's not something that just will change without just because you're good in one area doesn't mean it's going to transfer to the rest of your life you have to be be intentional in all your areas mm-hmm. of life so lay the groundwork early with whatever you're doing it sounds like um the last question i have for you Signature question of the podcast, Ethan Mitchell, what is your favorite snack? Mm. I would have to go with some apples and peanut butter and some chocolate milk. Ooh, I like it. I still have not had a repeat snack. I am amazed. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure my listeners learned a lot about, you know, ultra running, um, incorporating strength training for endurance athletes, and then, you know, a lot of good tidbits here and there. Um, if people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram um, at Mr. Kinesiology. Um, or you can find me, find my podcasts, uh, Their Past, Our Future, or excuse me, The Greatest Physical Therapist, Their Past, Our Future. And yeah, that's reach out to me. I I love to connect. All right. Perfect. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you on the next one.